0: I'm a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now and ask that you would shine your light in our hearts that we might see wonderful things from your word. Help us to understand and yet not simply understand, but Lord, would you transform and change our hearts? Would you do in us what we cannot do for ourselves? Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. We continue on in the Sermon on the Mount with a passage that is familiar. So many of these sections in the Sermon on the Mount are familiar to us. Really, from chapter 6, verse 19, until the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if you were to read through it, you'd notice a lot of the the sections are memorable. Verses that you may have memorized at some point, certainly verses that you probably find familiar. And the problem with this, or the challenge with this for us, is that we can tend to lift them out of their context, We can think of them without thinking of the rest of the sermon and all that Jesus was saying. I think this is certainly true of this particular passage. If you just read these verses, particularly verses 7 and 8, you might think that if you just ask enough, that if you just ask in the right way, that if you just keep persisting, God will give you whatever you want. And you may have actually heard a preacher that said something like that. And the problem, of course, is that this was said in a context, the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is not all that Jesus had to say about prayer, nor all that Scripture has to say about prayer. So we have to remember the context in which it was being said. The idea that if we... um, pray, and if we try hard enough and believe hard enough, we start to realize that the emphasis becomes on ourselves rather than to the one to whom we pray. But if we think of what Jesus has been saying so far, in particular what he has just said, do not judge others lest you be judged. What he now does is point us to the resource that we need to accomplish that. This is what we need to do when we realize that the law seems impossible or feels impossible for us to comply to. Yet I don't want to start out by causing us to doubt God's generosity. That's the other extreme we might think to. Well, if he's not going to give me everything I want, then he must be stingy. No, that's not true either. We have to look no further than the cross and even through the table that's spread before us today to see the the immeasurable grace and love of our God toward us in Christ Jesus. That if he redeemed us and made us his own, as we read this morning in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so at the outset, I want to emphasize this, that God is loving and gracious. He is generous and abounding in mercy. And we can approach him with that confidence in prayer. Yet we need to understand, as we know from experience, there are many things that we can ask for, pray for, want, good things, even good things, yes, that we actually do not need or would not be good for us. We don't have to be a parent to understand this that when a child asks for something, he or she may not need it or the timing may not be right. It might be a good thing. It might be something that you want to give to them later, but right now might not be the right time or you may know that this particular thing for this particular child is not the best thing. Children know how to ask for what they want, and adults have the wisdom to discern whether it's good or not to give it to them and We could decide whether we've done well with that or not. Usually in hindsight, we know. But the point that Jesus is getting at is if we know how to do this as parents, fallen as we may be, our Father who is perfect in heaven knows how to give us good things when we ask. Of course, we often wonder why God does not answer our requests, especially when we think we're asking for a good thing. Jesus tells us in this passage that God will not give us something to harm us, even if we don't know that the harm could come from the thing that we ask for. And yet the question again arises, what about the bad things that have happened in my life? There are things we experience that are truly the result of evil in this world. We've all been sinned against, and I know that in a crowd this size, there are some of you who have been grievously sinned against. However, God is not the author of sin. Even in a fallen world, as we experience the effects of evil, things that have happened to us that he has allowed, that have sifted through his sovereign hands, we must not blame him for that evil, and we are instead to find comfort in his goodness. You see, we may not know the end of how he's going to work all things together for good. We may not be able to see that in the moment, yet we can... And should we can and should hold on to the hope that He will? He will indeed carry all things together for our good, as hard as that may be at times to believe. There is mystery left in our circumstances. Some things we will never understand. Why did this happen, Lord? Why did it happen this way? And yet we can return to the promise and the exhortation to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our under, own understanding but to in all our ways acknowledge him so that he might direct our paths. You may be wondering about how life has turned out for you so far. Uh, I I often wonder this, and I've had this discussion uh, providentially with a number of people this this past week. Lord, this is not the way that I thought life was going to turn out, this aspect or this event or this thing that happened. This is especially hard when we see the effects of, of living in a fallen world. Last week, uh, or a few weeks ago, I shared about the news, getting the news that that Leslie had cancer, and that was a rattling experience when when that happened. Uh, It rocked our world. We spent the next year walking through uh, surgery and radiation and chemo. It was extremely difficult to watch Leslie. It was more difficult for her to go through the suffering of that treatment. And the Lord did bring healing and brought her through that. Yet I still to this day have questions as to why he allowed it. I don't understand. I can tell you that he showed us incredible mercy, that he provided for us in incredible ways. He showed us just tremendous stories of his love through the body of Christ. I can tell you how he used it to strengthen our marriage, even to heal our marriage from some past pains. But there is still mystery that remains as to why. Some of you have walked through similar struggles. Some have resulted in even more pain and greater grief. And while we may not have all of the answers to our questions of why, we are still called to trust our God's love for us. It may be in part that we can only see the grandeur of his light and his goodness after we've been in the darkness. There will be things that we don't understand. But he is good and his love endures forever. In the context of Jesus having just said, don't judge others, don't condemn others, don't have a critically harsh spirit toward others, and then yet discern those who would interrupt your gospel efforts, don't throw your pearls before swine, what seems impossible for us to comprehend, let alone obey, Jesus now gives the answer for the resource that we need. Ask, and it will be given to you. We looked at this last week, our tendencies uh, in our hearts to judge. I, every one of us knows this. I, I said this is not a problem of the majority, it is a problem of all of us. We are all judgmental, uh, we fight this every day of our lives a critical spirit, a condemning attitude toward others and what they're doing, the intentions behind their motive or their hearts, uh, their, their, their motives behind their actions. And so it can seem impossible not to judge. And now he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. That's the immediate context in which Jesus delivers that command with a promise. The broader context is everything he said in the Sermon on the Mount so far. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do not be anxious about your life. Judge not that you be not judged. All of these, all of these sound impossible. And it is in the context of what seems impossible that Jesus now tells us to pray to our Heavenly Father. Dan Doriani writes, When we compare God's law to our failings, we should neither imagine that we can reach Jesus' standards nor deny the problem. Certainly we must not wield the law on others to judge and condemn them or perhaps to divert attention from our own failings instead we should turn to the lord we should as jesus says ask and it will be given to you and so the approach that he gives us here is this very simple ask seek knock in some and for some they see in this a progression Uh, I think that's certainly plausible. Others see this as simply uh, repetition in the Hebrew style that's used often in preaching and writing. That's also plausible. I think both ideas need to be considered. They could certainly be uh, either or both of these in terms of what's behind it. They both bring us to the same end. Jesus is driving a point home. Whether it's an increasing measure or whether it's repetition for emphasis, he's making a point and he's driving it home. He wants us to understand the importance of, Of prayer, and particularly persistent prayer. What he is saying for us is prayer is vital, it's necessary. As a believer, you need to be a person of prayer. If we think of progression, we might think of the parable of the widow in Luke 18. It's a story that people have called the, the parable of the persistent widow. Uh, this widow who went to a judge, he was an unrighteous judge, Jesus pointed out. And he, uh, she asked for a hearing and, and he pushed her away and pushed her away. But she kept on and kept on uh, until he finally said, Though I neither fear nor not, that I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Isn't that kind? And so Jesus sets the stage of this person that's just, you know, makes you just kind of want to, uh, you know, this how just ugly he acts toward this widow. And Jesus says, okay, if, if, if this guy can respond, if this guy can be worn down, then what about your heavenly father who doesn't need to be worn down, but desires to do good to you? Even more will your heavenly Father respond when you ask, when you seek, when you knock as we continue to pray. You might also think of a child who calls across the house, you know, doesn't get the answer, so goes running across the house seeking out the parent and then comes to the closed door where the parent is barricaded behind hiding and knocks on the door because a child knows how to let their request be made known. Repetition, as I've said, makes the same emphasis. It drives the point home that we are to be persistent in prayer. The verbs, the grammar doesn't come out in English to us that these are are not only plural. Jesus is addressing all of his disciples here, but they're present imperatives, meaning that they're, they're commands, but in the present tense, meaning go do this now and keep on doing this keep on asking. we We could really read this as ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep on knocking. That's what Jesus is saying here. Keep on doing it. Some of us can give testimony to persistent prayers, maybe something that you've prayed for over time, could be days, months, years, but you continue in faith and then one day see God respond and answer. And yet, Some of us are in the middle of that. We wonder why God takes so long. We we wonder why he hasn't answered. And it's good for us to remember the words of God in Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, if God were not abounding in love, that would sound cruel. That would seem unkind. It would seem malicious. But because he is all-knowing and sovereign and he loves us beyond measure, these words comfort us in persistent prayer. In fact, they drive us to persistent prayer because we know that his ways are higher, better. The approach of asking, seeking, and knocking, though, implies more than just asking, as you might think. Asking and seeking are different. Knocking is different than seeking and asking. Asking. If you look at the, the, the idea of seeking, it, it's, it's the idea that, that we're going after something. The main way that we seek to know God and particularly know His will is through the study of the Scriptures. We seek in knowing Him through His Word. And this is not simply an intellectual effort. It is a seeking Him who is a person in faith with all of our heart. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. We have to understand that we're not wearing God out. That's a great parable the persistent widow, but that's not the way God is. Jesus wasn't saying that uh, about that. He was contrasting uh, uh, who who God is with this unrighteous uh, ruler. We don't wear God out. God is using our obedience to this call to be persistent in prayer, to actually draw us to himself. Can you imagine if God just gave us what we wanted without any relationship? What would we think of him? Would we worship him? Would we adore him? Would we give him the glory that he deserves? Would we even acknowledge him? Of course not. we just treat him like the vending machine in the sky. God does something good for us through prayer by drawing us to him. He does something good for us in the waiting By leading us to trust him more and more. and So he uses this, our obedience in prayer, that he might reveal his goodness to us. Again, we might think of the words in Jeremiah where we heard God speak to his people. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. And so we seek God. We ask and we seek him. And then third, we knock, which implies a door being shut. We don't knock on doors that are open. Typically, it implies there's an obstacle in the way, something that we cannot move ourselves. And so knocking shows that we come in prayer in faith, that we're not coming just simply giving a list. We're not coming informing God of something he doesn't already know. We're coming in faith, trusting that he would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. If asking is simply our petition, then seeking is asking plus action And knocking is asking plus action with persistence in faith. That's what the progression looks like. Think of when God visited Abraham. He was there in his old age. Sarah was listening. It was humanly impossible for them to receive the promise that God had given them a son. And so God says to him, is anything too hard for the Lord? Cross-stitch that one in your pillow, right? I mean, that'd be a good one to remind yourselves of every once in a while. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he tells them at this point, about a year from now, I'm going to come back and Sarah's going to have a son. What seems impossible to us is not too hard for the Lord. In addition to the imperatives that we are to ask and seek and knock, we also see there are promises here. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And so just as with the commands now the promises are repeated in a succession and they're repeated again in verse 8. And this this is for our assurance. Yeah, we need to hear it twice. We need to hear it again. We need to hear it built upon each other because we doubt this that God not only has the power to answer, but he will answer according to his will. Now let me stop there and say according to his will. What about that? It sounds like when we, when we clarify or we qualify prayer being according to his will, it sounds like that somehow limits things. It does. <laughs> but it is a gracious limiting. For us to pray according to God's will means that we pray pray according to his perfect and good will. We we are not perfect, and we are not good. And we don't know what's best for us because we're not omniscient either. God is all of those things. And because he is those things and he is loving toward us and has promised good toward us, then when we pray according to his will, We can trust him to do good toward us. In other words, asking according to his will ought to both free and motivate us to ask more boldly, knowing that his will is for our good. If we know that God's will is for our good, then we should be motivated to pray all the more. To ask all the more. This is the point that he makes in verses 9 and 10 when he says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? That is, God is not only to able to, to hear our prayers, uh, to hear our requests, but is perfectly wise to know how to discern what it is that we need, whether it's good for us or not. The contrast is between a good request, right? We, we don't ask, we don't pray for bad things. We pray for good things. We, that's what we want. But then a bad gift, it's this bait and switch idea. And he says to him, you, you wouldn't do that to your kids. You think your father who is, heaven, is perfect in heaven would do that to you? He will not deceive or harm us. This doesn't mean that we don't suffer. We know that we will suffer. We're told that. But even the harm that we will suffer will not lead to our ultimate demise. Suffering leads us to persevere that we might have increasing hope. Yet in the end, no suffering, no tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword will be able to separate us from the love of God. Then in verse 11, Jesus emphasizes this claim by stating, "'If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children,' How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We go to the how much more. That's the sweet part of this verse, but we can't skip over the first part of this verse where Jesus just kind of slips this in. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, in our modern day, we rebuff that. Evil. No. I know that I've seen on TV. There are evil people. I'm not. Not me. I'm, 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 I'm pretty good. that's that's the attitude people people think that, that uh, Jesus never said things like this and and if you ever thought, for example, that we're inherently good, Jesus undoes all that right here. He says very clearly, and he says it without needing to give evidence to to show us that this should be just such a basic assumption that we know about ourselves. If you who are evil, total of doctor, uh, doctrine of total private. Doctrine of total depravity, you can tell I haven't slept much this week. Doctrine of total depravity says that uh, we're not necessarily as bad as we can be, but there is no part of us that is unaffected by the fall. There's no good in us. Everything in us has been affected by sin. We're all members of one race, the human race, marked by original sin. And Jesus puts this in here to remind us that this is who we are a basic assumption. We are evil. And he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, this powerful contrast of if if we're able to do this, if we who have been crippled by sin can do these things toward our own, even more is our father who is perfect, able to do immeasurably good to us when we ask for what we need. And then that statement, how much more, that's that's what is so precious to us here, emphasizing God's good intention to us, the good intention rooted in the title that he ascribes to him here, your Father who is in heaven. If he made us his own, if he redeemed us from the fall, if he adopted us as his children, then how much more can we expect from him? He is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine if we just ask. James tells us, you don't have because you don't ask. Our problem with prayer is not that God needs to be informed. We've seen this a number of times. He knows our needs before we ask them. Our problem is that we need to submit and ask in order to receive. Prayer is a humbling of ourselves before God and asking to reflect our need and dependence upon him so that we get the help and he gets the glory. This is what prayer looks like. In the previous section, Jesus told us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this kingdom that the Father has established through the Son, through his redemptive work, ruling through his redemptive work on earth as it is in heaven, is now uh, submitted to by us in our hearts. In other words, we come and we trust in Jesus. We submit to him, we obey him in our hearts. And this, of course, begins... Through faith, when we confess our sins and we put our trust in Christ as our Savior, but it continues through faith, this submitting to the reign of Jesus as our King, as we rely on the Spirit's transforming work in our hearts through the continuous change that he brings in sanctifying us. It's a Trinitarian work where it is all of grace and for our good and will culminate in that goodness being all that we see and know. And so in this life, we ask, we seek, we knock through prayer. And in doing so, we're told we will receive, we will find, and the door will be opened for us. And the emphasis is not on our asking and seeking and knocking, but on God's providing and showing and opening. It gives God great glory when we submit to his reign in prayer and we come to him in humility and faith. And so the exhortation then to us is to ask and seek and knock and keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking that we might draw near to God in prayer that he might be glorified. Prayer is about glorifying God. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. Be bold and persistent knowing that God hears and perfectly discerns what is good for us and the right time for those things to be given to us. His timing is always perfect. This morning, we have the means of exercising this approach as we come to the table of the Lord. Because in this table, we taste and we see and we touch the answer to our prayers. The good gift, the greatest gift, is given to us in our redemption. That is the forgiveness of our sins. And if God has given us this great redemption, then we can certainly come to him with all of our needs and requests, knowing that with great assurance, he loves us, And will give us every good thing that we need. Let's pray. Father, it's hard at times for us to wrap our minds around the concept of prayer. Because selfishly, if we had our way, we we would just like to give you our list and ask that you just do what we want. But we confess that we are evil. We have been affected by sin in ways that we can't even imagine. We don't even know how to ask for what is good because we can't always discern what is good. And so we thank you that when we come to you and pray according to your will, that we can trust you, the one who is perfect in love, who knows all, who is sovereign and all-powerful over all things, that you can answer according to your will so that it is for our good. Lord, we confess that there are things that have happened in our lives that we don't understand, we can't make sense of, and that is why we come to you. That is why we trust you with all of our hearts, that we lean not on our own understanding, but we acknowledge you and confess that you alone are good in leading us and caring for us and giving us all that we need. So increase our trust in you as our good God And cause us to all the more quickly respond when needs arise with asking and seeking and knocking. All the more boldly to approach when we ask and seek and knock. That we might be persistent in prayer. Not that we would get what we want. You know what we need before we ask. But Lord, that we might get you. That we might come to you. That we might know you. That we might love you. That we might worship you, Lord. Would you do that in our hearts and lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and